continuing on. So he wanted the young people to marry. At times, because of persecution, he implied it'd be better if people were like me and not to marry. They will spare themselves trouble in the flesh. But then at another time, he says, the younger men and women should marry to avoid fornication. So he understood the natural desires of the human body. So he wasn't telling everybody, you can't get married. And he made it plain. He said, and those, I wish they could be like me, but if not, and they marry, he said, they'd not sin. So marriage is honorable in all, Hebrews says. It's a choice of the individual. A lot of people say, well, I don't know if the Lord wants to marry. He's left that to you. So if anybody tells you the Lord wants you to marry or not marry, they are misguiding you. That is not from the Lord. The Lord has already spoken on the subject. He's given you the right to choose. Now, you can pray about a Christian companion. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to be marrying a Christian and not be an ugly yoke. You can pray for wisdom that God will provide someone you can get along with better. But people seem to know their places. And so if uh, you wanted to marry, that's your choice. If you don't want to marry, that's your choice also. So whatever you choose, it's before the Lord. So don't let anybody put a guilt trip on you. And These so-called Christian matchmakers, they're of the devil. These old women running around and new women trying to match these people up. And, oh, I think the Lord wants you to marry them. That's the devil. It's not the Lord. It's just selfish uh, people who need to get a life and mind their own business and stop being a busybody in other people's affairs. It was the duty of the parents and the grown children to decide these things back at these times. And the parents' opinion counted, but they rarely, the Jewish communities and the Christian especially, they may have planned various marriages, but if the young people didn't want to do it, they rarely forced them to because they were put under a vow to do certain things. And if you don't like the person and you don't want to be around them, you're going to have a problem. So, But they usually had wisdom to know their children, what their desires and how they thought. So their opinion counted. That was the part of the honoring the mother and the father. But again, Paul says it's up to you. So if you're being persecuted, if they're coming against the Christians in the community, that isn't a time to be a marrying and setting up a household or doing anything. And you that marry will have trouble in the flesh. You will at times be forced into deciding what to do for the Lord and what you can do for your companion. You have duties to him or her, but at the same time, your main duties to the Lord. And so sometimes you're going to have conflicts because you're going to have to choose and you better choose the Lord's way or you're in trouble. And that's what Paul was talking about. So if you have a hard enough time following the Lord in issues, you don't need to be married and being put with someone else. Then you got two wills. So, But on the other hand, most young people, they married in their teens and early 20s and many of them, they had strong sexual desires. And that's why Paul said, to avoid fornication, let the young men and women marry. 
He understood that's the normal process of life. And unless you're a gifted celebrant and you have a strong will and you get God's grace, you should be marrying is what he's saying, especially if you're young. Okay, so he's given the same advice here that the younger widows should remarry. They've experienced married life. They like it. But the older women, Paul once said too, even a normal widow, he said, I think you'd be happier with the Lord, not marrying. So he's talking about women who are spiritual. They're not talking about frivolous people driven by desires. He's saying, you've walked with the Lord, you've had a good marriage, and now you want to serve the Lord. And that's the kind of women they wanted on this list. And usually it was older women. They weren't going to bear any more children, most likely. And he implied that the younger women, he wanted them to keep house and have children and live normally like normal families. So that's Paul's instruction. At times he gives his opinions, but this here seems to be instruction. But again, you have exceptions to this rule here. So he can give his opinion as one who's wise from the Lord, but he said, but if you want to marry, marry. You've not sinned. Uh So he's telling them this. And so if there's women older than 60, If they don't get on this list, they may want to marry for companionship, being with a widower. They don't like living alone. And so they don't have the problem with this. But if they got on this list, they made vows, and then it would cause problems, and the Lord would not be pleased, okay? Verse 14, therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. After they bear children, and he's talking about another marriage, second marriages, okay? And keeping house, that was the main job, was to keep the household, be a good wife and a good mother. That was the calling of the woman. That was the main calling. Uh, Women want to get in all kinds of ministries and all kinds of, when they don't even take care of their own house properly. God's not into that. That's just vainglory and wanting selfish attention and wanting to compete with men and usurp their authority. And the Bible says it's not permitted. And Paul said, that's not my opinion. I'm giving you a commandment from the Lord. So he restricts the woman's role, even the Christian. She has her duties to God and they're not to override men. Uh, They're not to be apostles and prophets, evangelists and public teachers. Uh, People will dispute that. Well, they can do all they want in a democratic system where the women rule often, and that's the world. And Isaiah still is true. Uh, God said it's a shame to men when women rule over you and children are your oppressors and they misguide you. This is God's word. So he's very telling you what he thinks about women ruling over men. And I think that applies to the world for the Christian. As uh, No Christian woman has any business running for government. And that's an opinion of mine, but it's the word of the Lord. So you can argue all you want and find your exception, but if you're honest with God's word, you're not going to find one. So I don't, it's like Paul said, when people talk to me about that, and they give me all these excuses and all the. I said, well, I can only say one thing. 
what Paul said, if you wish to be ignorant, be ignorant. But God hasn't changed his mind. So if you get into these things, you may have problems with the Lord, if not anybody else. So we won't get into that that place here. Okay, he said, and to do this is to give the enemy no occasion for reproaches. Women back in those societies of the world and the church, they basically did not work openly by themselves. They were more protected by the men of societies. They veiled themselves. They did not show off their looks and their they wore clothing that covered and did not stir up sexual desires like women do today. I was just astounded when I was walking that half the, or some of them are exercising and walking, but every one of them, you could see everything they had behind their pants. I don't think God intended for godly women to dress that way. You don't look at that and say, that's a holy woman. They usually want to stir up lust and appeal to men and say, look at my shape. Well, that's of the world, and we know where that's going uh, to lead, ultimately. Okay, so give the enemy no approach. So even in society, they expected women, and if they didn't do this, the women were prostitutes. They were basically prostitutes and did many things around men, and they dressed differently, and everybody knew basically who a prostitute was. Uh But godly women were to be in the home and taking care of these things and taking care of the body of Christ in servitude, and the world don't like that. They don't want to live that way. So he says, for 15 says what? For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. Some of these younger women Some of these ones that broke their vows, and some of them that didn't even join, they became loose in their living. They became the equivalent of prostitutes. They lived their own self-indulgent lives. They were of the world, and he wants you to know that, that that's not the Christian way. That's of the world, okay? So they've gone back to the world to live in fornication and pleasures and to follow the devil. Of course, they don't know they're following the devil, but they're under his control now, okay? Many of these people came out of corrupt systems, religious systems. So many of them, the Romans and uh, Greeks and all of their different gods, most of the gods and goddesses practiced and permitted their people to commit fornication and You could pay for a temple prostitute, male and female. That was part of their religion. And that's why God told Moses to destroy these nations and not to mingle with them. Because all of those nations that were pagan, they did all these things and they didn't see nothing wrong with it. They lived immoral, wicked lives, and they made it a part of their religion to sort of ease their conscience. And so, again, the power of the devil over people. And so they've turned away. They've gone back to the way of the world. Some of these people that came in previously, they may have come out of this, have been saved and followed the Lord, and then they were drawn back to the world system. Verse 16, if any woman who is a believer, some imply the translation can be a man or woman, who is a believer, has dependent widows 
they must assist them and the church not to be burdened. He repeats this. It may give itself to the widows that are indeed widows. The ones over 60 are dedicated, made a pledge, a vow to serve the Lord and the church. We don't have to spend money on people. You should be taking care of your own family and stuff. That's what he's just repeating himself. Now, he changes somewhat. 17, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching, exhorting and teaching. The worthy of double honor doesn't simply mean respect. When you take the understanding of the scripture in the original, it means they were to be supported financially or they were to be helped. They were to given places, food and raiment. That was the minimum they would be given. And he said double honor. They, you shouldn't be chinchy about it. If they've given themselves to the labor of the word and teaching, and that's what they're doing, then the body of Christ has a responsibility to take care of them properly, okay? Double honor, okay? It meant supports, uh, money, food, clothing, what was needed, and not in a misery manner, okay? Those who labor in the word and they are exhorting and teaching. So we're talking about teaching elders here, and we saw some of the qualifications before, okay? That's what they're mainly doing. As the Christian widows on the list are giving themselves the prayer and service to the body of Christ and the Lord, okay? Then he quotes the Old Testament, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing or plowing or doing his work, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Uh, one scripture says that God gave this particular scripture as an example of what you're to do for the priest and the ruling elders and stuff. So he, he wasn't just concerned about the ox. He's given an example. The ox, he works for you. And don't you cover his mouth while he's in the field working, if he wants to eat something and you take a break and you bring him something to eat, uh, you don't starve him. You take care of him because he's providing you with a good service is what he's talking about. So the laborer is worthy of his pay. So the oxen should not be muffled. Now, I know a lot of religious charlatans and con artists and very popular well-known ministers who have millions and millions, uh, they're still taking money uh, from the poor Christians, many of them, ignorant Christians, and because they should know better. And they live in four and five houses and have airplanes and everything else, uh, yet they get up and, and solicit money and they make millions a year for their ministries and they get a good cut of it. It's an abomination and these people will not make it into the kingdom. Oh, I heard minister myself years ago. He bragged about being wealthy. And then he stood up there and took up an offering and of arrogance. And he said to all the congregation, my money's my money. I'm ministering the word of God. You're required to support me. Well, the man was worth millions, had several restaurants. He was a hypocrite and a liar. And it's like Paul said, they'll make merchandise of you. So a sound Christian should be past all that trivialism. 
when you die, like one did recently, with $300 million in the bank, and you've been taking money from people for decades, I don't think you're going to fare well before God, okay? So if a person's wealthy, and he wants to teach, and he wants to, uh, he should have common sense of not to be taken from poor Christians. That money can be used, he can take care of himself. So see how they misuse and twist the word of God out of greed. They said they'll exploit, exploit you with covetousness, and that's what they're doing. And Peter said, uh, Paul's writings, he said they torture, they twist scripture to their own destruction. How are they twisting Paul's scripture? Once saved, always saved. Greasy grace, eternal security. Paul, didn't he teach that? A faith and grace alone, you don't see that in scripture. It's been twisted. Even Peter and Paul said, it's whoever you obey, that's who your master is. If you claim to be under grace and saved, and you're still living in sin, you're false. And Paul makes it plain. James simply said, and he did say it, no scripture says that we are saved by faith alone. That's Martin Luther, who was a borderline heretic. No, it doesn't say that. You cannot find that. But you can find James saying, a man is not justified by faith alone, but by works. He's justified by works. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say faith. Uh And Paul makes it plain. If you're under grace, shall you continue in sin? And he said, God forbid. So if you're once saved, always saved, and eternal secure, and you're still living in sin, and think you have a license, you're on your way to hell. You've been listening to false shepherds, okay? And it's very popular. But Paul says, don't you know or know this, to whom you obey, that's who your master is. See, because the obeying is the works. It's the fruitfulness. It's the spiritual work. He said, if you obey righteousness, you'll have life coming to you. But he said, if sin, death. He's talking about spiritual death. So he's making it very plain. If you claim to be born again, and you're once saved, always saved, and you don't have to worry about it, you're a liar. As Jesus said, you don't bear fruit, and that fruit is the spiritual works. He said, if you don't bear fruit, the Father will cut you off and you will be burned, the branches. He makes it very plain. And he says, every branch in me. He didn't say that professed me. He says that you were grafted into the vine, but somewhere along the line, you refused to bear fruit. And when you weren't bearing fruit, the Lord, after a while, the Father decides to cut you off. Uh Uh-huh. See, because the vine gives life, and the branch cannot bear fruit without the vine. And the vine cannot bear fruit without the body, the branches, their union. So it's not all God. It's not all irresistible grace. That's a lie. Most of Scripture is talking to man and his duty to stay with God and live righteously and holy. And if you don't, Jesus six times talks about weeping and gnashing of the teeth. He should have known as the creator, he created the lake of hell and the lake of fire is going to be cast in. And he warned the people. Six times he speaks more on hell than any of them does. He ought to know he made it. 
So lip service didn't mean nothing. That's why Paul said, let us not serve in word, but in deed and action. So you can claim all the religion you want. You can claim to be baptized. You just got wet. But if you don't continue with the Lord, Paul's immediate response after preaching the gospel was, continue in the faith, for through much tribulation we enter the kingdom. So you have to stay with the Lord and persevere to the end. People don't like it, but you're under probation. And this lifestyle, this life here will determine whether you're faithful or not. And then you all have to be tested later. Well, many people say, well, I read the end of the book and we won. It didn't say you won. It said those who persevered. Now you read who they were. And the people who came with the Lord when he's going to judge, he said it's the called. They were called to the gospel. They were chosen because they responded to the call. They were chosen to be his. And then it says, and faithful. So if you're not faithful, your call and you're being chosen don't mean nothing. See? They go together. And that's what James was saying. Faith without works is dead. If you're not producing the life of Christ and bearing fruit, spiritual fruit, he's saying that your religion is dead. Your faith is vain. It's just lip service. It has nothing. So don't let no one lie to you and tell you you have a license to sin because you'll end up in the same lake of fire they're going to. False teachers that teach this, they're going to be responsible for misleading many. And you don't see many of them come to the Lord. Once you're in that for years, you're under the power of the devil and you've cost many people their souls. And they're responsible for listening to you. But you're going to be responsible for giving a false message. You're a false shepherd is what the Lord is saying. Okay? So number 19, do not receive an accusation against the elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Okay? An accusation that a teaching elder or a shepherd uh, has committed some gross sin is what he's talking about. He's not talking about trivial, minor things. James says we offend in many things. We offend, uh, we offend sometimes and and hurt people's feelings and Christians, and sometimes we're not even aware of what we did. They see it, and it's their position, if it bothers them enough, to come and tell you they didn't like it. See, that's why many Christians uh, fall away and never progress They're unforgiving. Well, this person, well, did you go tell them? Well, no. Well, it's your fault, and you're worse than them. Because Paul did make it clear. He said, as God has forgiven you, for Christ's sake, forgive one another. So in a lot of trivial matters, we should overlook them. But if it bothers you enough, go to the person. Uh, Jesus made it very plain. He says, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. That means to correct him. And you can be stern and a little angry when you do it. And it says, and if he repents, forgive him. Now, if a person doesn't repent, you're not required to forgive him. That's God's business. How can you forgive a person that's continuing in the sin when God doesn't forgive him? So people need to clarify scripture a little more. But the Christian was told to go and make things right. If you know there's animosity, you should deal with it and get it behind you because it will hinder prayers. It will hinder your walk with the Lord. 
When I used to counsel years ago, one of the 90% of the problems was people not forgiving people. And half the time, the person didn't even know what they did. That proves that you are selfish and of the world. You don't have the Christ spirit in you. You think you're worthy. You think you're privileged and you're special. See, but you're not. You're special only as you serve the Lord. But he's no respecter of persons. So he'll honor you if you honor him. If you dishonor him, he'll dishonor you. Very plain and simple, okay? So if you bring an accusation against a teaching elder or a leader, then you should have two or three witnesses. It should not be one opinion. The law required a person to be tried for a death penalty sin, they had to have two or three witnesses. And God would curse the witnesses that they were false because they would put to death an innocent person. They would not be forgiven, okay? So it was a great law uh, that held them to what they were accusing. So if you see this person, say you saw this person go in to a prostitute and you know what was going on, well, if it's just you, you had the right to mention it to other Christians, and you had the right to go and watch and see if it was true. And if it's true, he tells you how to handle this. Rebuke him in the presence of all. This is the gathering of the local church, so that the rest will be fearful of sinning. The rest elders, well, includes everybody, but that other shepherds and teachers will know what's going to happen to them. That they're not that special. They're worthy of double honor, but they're worthy of double punishment. So when authorities sin, they were punished more severely. In most societies, if a judge or a policeman is caught guilty, people want them punished because they're supposed to be upholding the law, not breaking the law. Okay? And so if you have proof of it, you do it. And 19, this is a teaching elder or the shepherds. Do not listen to idle talk or gossip. Make sure it's true. And the person that gets the two and three witnesses, then they can come officially, but they don't run around and tell everybody else. They deal with the proper eldership and shepherd, and they bring this before them. They don't tell everybody else. That's not their business to do that. Then you become a partaker of sin and of their sin. 20, those who continue in sin, he's talking about the shepherds and teaching elders, rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest will be fearful. We just said that, okay? If true and not repented of, rebuke before the whole church. Now, the other thing is implied here that when the two and three witnesses went through the proper leadership, this sinning elder could be brought before the group and confronted without him privately. He could have been exposed before everybody. They didn't hide this. And it implies he continued in it. Somewhere along the line, someone warned him or the church had told him, the elders said, now you got to stop and correct this. And they find out he was still doing it and he was still being a teacher. Well, that's when they brought him in for the whole congregation for hypocrisy, okay? 
And so if he's convicted, and some say open rebuke is not necessary, it most certainly is. It makes other people wonder, you're not a, nobody special. We're not going to treat you special. More is expected of you, and so we're going to deal with you more severely. You're worthy of double honor, but you're worthy of double punishment too, okay? So if he's rebuked after having continued and been warned, and if there's not instant repentance or confession publicly, he's to be put out of the fellowship, removed from authority, and they're to break Christian fellowship with him. Paul talks about one man that committed adultery with his father's concubine or his second wife. And he said, I'm shocked that you have not put that wicked person out of your midst. When Paul called a person wicked in the scripture, it means they're not Christians. They may have been, but they're not no more. Because Christians are not called wicked people. And as the false shepherds, we're all sinners saved by grace. We're not. If you're still a sinner living in gross sin, you're not a Christian. See, that's where all the false teaching comes from. Because we're saints and we're to be holy. And when Paul named a bunch of sins, he said, and such were some of you. But you were, past tense, washed. You were sanctified past tense. You were justified. He means you're not living that way no more. So a lot of people just say lip service and confess Jesus. That don't save them. While when the multitudes of two billion Christians of the world stand before God, they're going to say, Lord, Lord, they believe he's Lord. They believe he died on the cross and resurrected. One billion Catholics believe that. The other billion of mixed Protestants. And Jesus said, I never knew you. You were never born again. You never followed me. But remember, they're calling him Lord. Lord, they believe it. They believe. And it's because you are lawless. You did not do the will of my father. And what was his will? Was to follow Christ and live a holy life in purity. And he says, you didn't do that. He says, you're workers of lawlessness. You're not under the law of Christ. You're under the power of the devil. But they were saying, Lord, Lord, we believe you died on the cross. See, that's where that confession doesn't do you any good. Many people believe that. It don't get them saved. It doesn't keep them saved. Okay? So he wants them to be rebuked. And if they confess and repent, they could be dealt with. Part of the punishment is they could would not be permitted to teach for a while. It could be weeks or months. They could be tested again and see if they're going to be faithful or if they're going to get other rumors that he's running around with the prostitutes again. They didn't just, just say, oh, you're such a great teacher, we need you. No, that was part of the punishment. And the church had the right to set the punishment. If they considered it great, and again, if it gets open to the world, it brings a reproach. And the world says, oh, these are godly people. Well, they run to the prostitutes just like we do. And so it, it makes the Christian name look bad. It causes blasphemy. So you can see what God's interested in. So we see then they can be punished. They don't say, oh, 
I repent, I forgive, I'm going to teach tomorrow night. No, you're not going to teach for a while. We can test you and prove you. And if you don't prove by your works, John the Baptist, when the priest came to be baptized of him, like the common people, he told the priest to go away. He said, I'm not going to baptize you. He said, you go and show fruits worthy of repentance. They were still hypocrites and devouring the widow's money and covetous. But they wanted to be baptized because it was popular. All the masses wanted to say, oh, we have a baptized by John. So they wanted this, but he wouldn't do it. He said, go show forth works worthy of repentance. Then he would have baptized them, but they went away unbaptized. So the church has the right to say, we want to see some works worthy of your repentance. So we have this misnomer that every time a person said, they just say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and they go live as they please again. Uh-uh. God disciplines, the body of Christ disciplines. We individual discipline. We separate and do not eat or fellowship with backslidden Christians. We can eat and go to certain meetings with the heathen. You can do that to go witness to them, talk about, or it could be a governmental affair and you're required to go, and you go. But if it's a backslidden Christian and he's living in sin and he won't repent, you are not to have nothing to do with him. You're not to eat with him. That means you're showing that God does not have fellowship with him, so I can't, okay? So, we don't have that happening today. That's why we have so many false churches. And the world runs the churches, and the devil runs the world. That's the majority of them across the board, okay? So we see then, sometimes you have to have harsher punishments for the greater sins, okay? And you will see how they take the punishment and correction. Many years ago, a well-known evangelist was caught in some kind of sexual misdeed. And he was one of the foremost evangelists in the country. And when he was caught once or twice, that denomination that he was a part of required him not to minister for a year or so. Well, after a few weeks, he came and told him, I can't do that because I'll lose too much money. So it shows you, well, needless to say, uh, his ministry is a 20th of what it used to be, because people have common sense too. Even the world has common sense. But he refused to be corrected. He thought he was above all that. So the rest, the church, the other elders and shepherds will fear what will be done if they are grossly sinning and it's found out. Harsh correction for those who had double honor. Okay. And we need to see that. Proverbs says harsh corruption for the sinner and for the person who sins. And also scripture says, why should a man complain if he's punished for his sins? Has some common sense there. And also says that he that is reproved often, either by God or by the, the church, he stiffens his neck. That means he gets arrogant. He don't like this. He thinks he's better than them. He may know more than them. He may have been more spiritual, and he don't want to submit. 
or God's dealing with him and he keeps not doing it. And it said, he that is often reproved. It means he isn't listening. He's not repenting. It says the final part, the end of that man will be cut off. The end of that man, God will have no more mercy. He'll cut him off in his sin. And the law said, if you sin against me seven times, I will punish you seven times. But maybe the eighth time, he'll destroy you. He's one and he is not putting up with many things. To, and it all relies on the knowledge, the insight, and how much that person's had and how God will deal with him. So he that is often reproved, stiffens his neck, he will be cut off that which out remedy. As Hebrews says, the chasing of the Lord is grievous. Grievous. Let's go there real quickly. We've been there many times, but it's relative to this scripture. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but it's grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Okay. How does it yield peaceable fruit of righteousness? They stop sinning. See, that's what he's talking about. God grieves them with punishment. Uh huh. That punishment is to cause them to stop sinning. You know, he afflicts them that they'll be partakers of holiness. See, while they're sinning, they're not holy. They're falling away. Christ may not give them much time. One of the churches, Jesus said, repent quickly, lest I take your lampstand. He didn't tolerate long suffering for sin. See, a lot of people think he puts up with Christian sinning for months and months. He don't. They know better, and they're going to be answered to more. So he said, repent quickly, because he might decide to judge it. And he has a right to do this, okay? So it's not joyful, but it will lead to righteousness. And the later down, he says, for without holiness, no man will see the Lord. So if he don't take the punishment and repent, he's not going to see the Lord, okay? Very plain and simple. As Paul names all of these many sins, he said, if you practice those, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Practice means you make a habit, you keep doing it. So that's plain enough. People want to split hairs. They asked me one time, well, how far can I go and still be? I said, well, you are revealed a wicked heart. I said, I don't, I doubt whether you're a Christian. You're saying, how much can I get by with and still be a Christian? You aren't listening to the new man. You're listening to the old man. And you don't have godly sorrow. You have worldly sorrow. You don't want to be caught and punished. But you don't have godly sorrow, which works repentance. And then they hang up the phone sometimes because <laughs> they've been taught once saved, always saved. And they damn their own souls. And God lets them believe their lies and be damned. You don't fool with them after a while. Okay? There be a lot of deceived people. Uh-huh. So the church is to get repentance from the gross sinner. And if they don't get it, they're to be expelled, and fellowship is to be broken with these people. But to cast someone else was the last resort, and it was over gross sin, and it was over unrepentant gross sin. It was not over something trivial. Okay? Let us stop here. This would be at verse 20. 
Lord, give us wisdom, give us understanding, help us to apply your word in the time and generation that we live in. In Jesus' name, amen.